Today's episode of Hoops Adjacent is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you with indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home. We're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Uh, audio visual settings, buzzing, 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 buzzing. Microphones good, speakers. Oh, built in. That's why. I used to think that John Gervais made that up, was. What? Blase, blase. Oh. That's like a real thing. <laughs> no, it's a thing man. This, this, that, and the third too. I thought that was all John Gervais thing. I was like, <laughs> just making stuff up. Man? <laughs> no, no, no. This, that, and the third is man. This, that, and the third, Jade. I don't remember a time where people weren't saying it. Like honestly, like it's it's as old as any saying I can I could like colloquialism i can remember john was the only person i knew said that <laughs> and blase blase i was like blase blase blah and i would i would literally literally think to myself is he just making shit up right now <laughs> blase so <laughs> it's it's like a yada 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 <laughs> yeah yeah no, I, uh, I didn't know it pertained to the philly dc kind of area is it a new I york feel thing like it's a whole I feel like the whole Northeast is, uses blase blase. This, that, and the third is just black community, black American really? community writ large. Like, this, that, uh. and the third is everywhere. <laughs> it's down south, it's up north, it's Midwest, it's everywhere. Welcome to another Hoops Adjacent. I am David Aldridge, joined as always in L.A. by my man, Waz Lambray. Waz, what's up, bud? What's up, what's up, Dave? Just, you know, just staying disinfected and, you know, <laughs> just hanging out at the crib. I know in D.C. the weather's gotten nicer, it's gotten warmer, so you know people trying to come up out of their clothes and, and walk around and jog and all that nonsense. What's it like <laughs> out in L.A.? Uh, you know, where I live is is not... It's a very older community, so people do walk their dogs, but you're not seeing a lot of jogging and, and exercising outside. It's just a lot of dog walking and a lot of people who refuse to poop a school. Um, but <laughs> but it's it's all good, man. You know, um, people saying hi, trying to stay upbeat, so it's fine. Yeah, so far I think most people are, are trying to trying to stick with this, and it looks like. Thankfully, we're starting to see some signs that maybe this thing is slowing down at least. Um, and so hopefully, you know, if we can stick with it for another few weeks, we'll all have a good summer. So let's stick with it, everybody. And uh, also want to thank everybody who tunes in and listens to the show. You guys have been great. The support, the numbers have been really promising the last several weeks. Um, and I thank you for, for listening and giving us a shot. Um, we're going to start. We're going to have... John Krasinski and Sham Sharania on in a few minutes to talk about KG and the Wolves, which I think is just a, a fascinating story. Um, Shams wrote a uh, did an interview with KG off of him getting into the Hall of Fame uh, last week, and of course KG has some things to say about Glenn Taylor, the owner of the Timberwolves. Um, but Waz, we want—I I know we both want to talk about this Mike Gundy thing, and for those of you who. <laughs> are familiar with Coach Gundy. 
Um, <laughs> he has some things to say about, you know, getting everybody back to work uh, as soon as possible. <laughs> In the midst but these of kids the, don't have jobs, though, of so. the pandemic. Oh no, that's that's not the problem. It's not professional. That's, They're not professionals. They don't. They don't. They don't work. It's not the so problem. they don't need money, right? No, but he's he's the head coach at Oklahoma State football, and um, he thinks, hey, we should just start working like next month. You know, he's like, you know, bleep that. Uh, you know, four or five weeks and stuff. We should be ready May one to get back to football. You know, <laughs> and uh, he said. Um, what did he say? In my opinion, if we have to bring our players back, test them. They're all in good shape. They're all 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22-year-olds. They're healthy. A lot of them can fight it off with their natural body, the antibodies and the build that they have. There's some people that are asymptomatic. If that's true, then we sequester them. And people say that's crazy. No, it's not crazy because we need to continue and budget and run money through the state of Oklahoma. You know, we always want people to t- tell the truth. Yes, and Mike yes. Mike Gundy told the truth. <laughs> He's saying the quiet part loud, right? Oh yeah, like, oh yeah. We make money on the backs of what these kids do. <laughs> yeah, and so we need the to vast turn majority and- of whom are African American. But that's well, of course, <laughs> which is that's always the subtext, though, right? You know what I'm like when 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 they these have, guys are they talking. have natural natural antibodies, you know, they can't. <laughs> They it's came like, dribble, dribbling and blocking out of the womb, as, as Isaiah Thomas used to it's say. It's crazy, man. It's <laughs> it's really crazy. Like, um, and, and you know, you gotta. We talked about the NCAA stuff when it came to not wanting to shut down a tournament, and we know why that is. That's their money maker. They don't right. want to um breach the contracts with the broadcast networks. We get all of that, but I think when you went like their their absolute refusal. To pay guys and the tone that that Mike Gundy feels comfortable taking in the middle of a pandemic, um, I don't think I think those two things are interconnected with one another. Like no when question. your workforce is unpaid and they're basically your subjects at this point, and you wield all of the power, so you get to come out and tell them that they'll be healthy and they'll be fine in the midst of a global pandemic. I think it's all interrelated, right? You even take something like John Beeline not working out in the NBA, a guy who spent basically 40 years in the college basketball ranks playing, um, coaching guys who aren't professionals, who aren't his peers, and him being used to taking a certain type of tone with them as opposed to professional guys who make double and triple his salary. I think all of this stuff is interconnected. I don't think you can separate the fact that players don't get paid and the fact that these guys, people like Dabo, people like Mike Gundy, believe that it's right that they don't get paid, that they shouldn't be paid because... I mean, I don't like I don't know how else you look at it besides they think these are guys that should be controlled and that their work should be exploited. It's funny, you, like, it's funny. It's funny you should mention Dabo Sweeney, good old Dabo, who said he would he would quit if they ever started paying players in college. <laughs> said he would quit. He wouldn't. <laughs> I quit. I do not want to be a part of a system where players get played, get paid. But old Dabo, you know, it's interesting. So he took last week. This is not like five months ago. This is last week. He took a private plane to Florida for vacation while <laughs> most of the rest of the country is on voluntary lockdown. Of course. Now he went from South Carolina to Florida. So it wasn't like he flew cross country. But right. here's where Dab, this is what Dabo said. 
the blessings are unlimited as far as the job I have and the things I get to do. But there are a lot of negatives that come with this job too. And one of those is criticism. And that is something that I've just accepted. It doesn't matter what I say or what anybody says, there's going to be criticism. It doesn't surprise me at all. So Dabo sounds an awful lot to me like the guy who said, well, I get to cast an absentee ballot, but I don't want anybody else casting absentee of ballots. <laughs> of course, of course. It's, it's, it's just incredible. It's and you again, know? we don't need to, because like at this point, we're in week four now. I don't even yeah. like. I'm, I've lost track of this. Yeah, stuff. I know. That's like but, I said, we're in Vegas. We're just in a casino yeah, exactly, in Vegas exactly. with no, no windows, windows and no clocks. Oxygen being pumped in. <laughs> um, but 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 like we're in week four now, so we don't need to explain why what Gundy said is stupid right. about guys being asymptomatic, maybe not showing symptoms, or getting sick and not actually dying from it, and all of these things is unlikely for 18, 19, 20 year olds who don't have, you know, diabetes or hypertension and all of these asthma, all of these things associated with things that make you more likely to have this this virus be fatal. Um, We could take, like, we know the facts of why he said it's stupid, but it's just like, yo, the idea, man, that you feel comfortable to come out and say, these motherfuckers need to get to work now <laughs> because their their labor and what they do provides for everybody else except for themselves right it's the arrogance the it's it's incredible dude like the, the wow. privilege the privilege is just pour, coming out of these guys pores and, you know, and we don't need to get political actually we can't get political but you you already know what direction he's going right when he's like yep. so-called medical experts and, <laughs> like we know what the rhetoric we know the rhetoric <laughs> Right, right. We all know the rhetoric when somebody comes out and says something like that. Right. Um, mm. And again, like everybody it's so funny, David, when people say they don't want their politics and sports. But we know what that means. We don't want those politics and sports. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mike Leach could come out and basically use his Twitter account as a meme factory for right wing rhetoric. <laughs> Nobody is saying Take the politics, Mike Leach, take the politics out of sports, bro. No, Nobody, no. those same people will never say that to Mike Leach. Those same people, and we know this shit is political. They well, will never we, say it about Mike Gundy, but we know what that means, man. We have, as I have always said, just standing up for the anthem is a political act, okay? 100%. <laughs> it's a political act. So um, the reason why I wanted to start with, with Mike Gundy and by extension Dabble Sweeney is there is a basketball component to that, and that is the reporting that's been done by various sources in the last week. And this also parlays into some of the reporting that's been done about Major League Baseball, that there are these kind of, you know, whether how far down the road they are, we don't know. Um, but there have at least been discussions about, hey, is there a way we could potentially start this thing up in the next six weeks to eight weeks? You know what I mean? The baseball discussion centers on bringing all 30 teams to Arizona to have them all congregating on, on, you know, multiple fields, I guess, in the, in the, in the Arizona, in the state of Arizona with various, uh, safeguards to keep the players safe with no fans, a lot of different things. And we've heard about the NBA, the same thing. We've heard about putting them all in Vegas, you know, or at least putting the playoff teams in Vegas, having some sort of fo- playoff in Vegas. And I just, you know, it just brings back to me the whole notion of our commerce is so central to 
our sense of <laughs> Americanness. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's literally the sense that if we don't do what we have always done, that we are failing as a country. We are failing as a nation if we don't play sports for not just for my enjoyment, but for the for the bottom line and for people to make money off of it. The vast majority of the money going to the owners of the various sports, not to the players or certainly not to the workers at the at the arenas and the stadiums. And I just it just fascinates me that nobody talks about how do we keep the people that have to go and work these events safe? No, of course not. And what happens (laughs) to them? when they have to go home to communities, as we increasingly see, which are more likely, more susceptible to to contracting coronavirus uh, because of a lot of things that we could do a series of shows on <laughs> about why black people and people of color disproportionately are, are dying and, and contracting this disease and Latino yeah. communities are dying and contracting this disease. Um, but no, no discussion about them. So, it just, you know, it all, as you said, it all connects to one another. So what Mike Gundy says and what Dabo Sweeney says certainly has connections to the NBA, to Major League Baseball and to the professional sports because of the lot, there's a lot of the same kind of thought process going on, which is how soon can we get these guys playing again? Because they got to play. And look, I, I don't want to use this podcast as a soapbox to get on my, you know, Karl Marx, Communist Manifesto, <laughs> but it's hard for me to watch what's going on, David, and not think that the Capitol just literally can't stand the thought that people might think that we don't actually have to be working 80-hour work weeks to get ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's okay to spend time not toiling away and working, you know, to make some guys' pockets fatter, i.e. Mm-hmm. Mike Gundy and the Dabo Swinnies of the world, right? Like, mm-hmm. a part of me feels like the panic that you see, or even when 45 comes back and, boy, wouldn't be, wouldn't it be nice if we could go back to Easter Sunday? Like, mm-hmm. all of it is just an unease that the capital has, that the working class, you know, the people whose labor they exploit to enrich themselves might get the sense that, yo, do we, should we really be working six days a week? Like, do, seven like, days what, a week. You know, oh, seven days a week. Like, do we really, like, is it such a crime that we might get 12, 16 weeks vacation a year to just mm-hmm. freaking unplug from the machine a little bit? Like, I really, it really feels like there's an anxiety coming from on high because it's like, the ramifications are so obvious, right? And, and the stakes are so obviously high. I don't even understand how you can think to yourself like, yo, man, something is, I'm sorry, man. We work in sports, David, but like, this is trivial. Like basketball and football are trivial in the face of this, you know? And I don't want to be condescended to about, oh, fans know the consequences. And like, bro, it's not about the fans. It's about the powers that be like, have some freaking common sense, bro. This doesn't need to go on. It's about anybody that anybody that gets sick, if we bring people back too soon, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's a player, a coach, a fan, you know, a popcorn salesman, a camera person, you know, it doesn't matter. A security guard. It doesn't matter to me. If we don't have to do it, why would you do it and put people at risk is what I'm saying. As you know, John Kerry said it a long time ago. How can you ask somebody to be the last person to die for a mistake? 
You know what I mean? So, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me to put any person at risk, to make anybody sick and contract this disease and potentially harm themselves or harm other people around them so that we can watch a football game or so we can watch a basketball game. That's insane to me, you know? So, um, I just, I just want people to think about those things. We all want sports back. Okay. So how we all make our livelihood. We all want sports back. But there are unintended consequences to doing it too quickly and doing it not because of any reason other than we need to make money for the state of Oklahoma. You got to think bigger picture than that, bro. God forbid we 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 start a you know a democratic self government. Um, we put something like that in place in case of times like that. I mean, like I but call me crazy, David, but like that's the point of this whole enterprise is so that in times in need, we band together and we make sure we can take care of people. Yeah. We don't we don't freaking count on the interests of private capital to be like, no, 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 no. Guys, I'm worried about you guys more than I am my money. Trust me. I'm I'm thinking about you guys. Like, that's the whole point of doing this thing is so that we don't rely on that type of stuff. But because, and this is why, David, like when, when the capital is left to their own devices, this is what they come up with. They come up with this. Uh, Oklahoma needs to get the money back as if it's Oklahoma. Okay. We know, <laughs> like, we know, we know what's going on, right? When, when, when the capital is left to their own devices, again, it's, we cutting 20% of the pay for the Philadelphia 76ers workers, right? And that's when, you know, the, the self government is supposed to step in and help people because capital can't be freaking counted upon. And Mike Gundy is just, he is just a freaking, oh my goodness, bro. <laughs> Lord could, have mercy. We could do another half hour on this, but I yeah. want to bring in our guests, uh, John Krasinski and Sham Sharania to talk about KG, Glenn Taylor, and the Timberwolves. We'll be right back. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs like the bullshit and braggadocious. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. With David, David Aldridge. Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing him. Yes. <laughs> And then they have their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was popping in there. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and we can't pay for the charters for the water over <laughs> in Iowa. 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 Hoops adjacent. Welcome to Hoops Five, adjacent. Four, we have ignition. And as promised, we're going to talk now about KG getting into the Hall of Fame and the ongoing uh, feud, I guess. is, And I don't know if it's a feud because I don't know if it's two ways. It sounds like it's a one-way feud uh, between KG and the Timberwolves, specifically Glenn Taylor. And we've got our two experts on that. Sham Sharania, who, who did the interview with KG uh, in The Athletic. It's in there this week. Take a look at it. And our man, John Krasinski, who has covered the Timberwolves forever for The Athletic, for a bunch of uh, outlets over the years, is the Minnesota man when it comes to all sports. Gentlemen, thank you. I'm just fascinated by the the enmity that that Kevin Durant still has. Garnett? <laughs> Kevin Garnett. What did I say? Kevin Durant has no enmity. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Garnett <laughs> has 
And maybe Kevin Durant has some enmity. I don't he know. Has enmity for hairbrushes, baby. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's cool. See, that's cool. About K, about him, his role in Minnesota, and his refusal to come back to Minnesota uh, to get his number retired, to do anything with regard to uh, the Wolves. Shams, I want to start with you. You wrote the story, and I always ask people or, or tell people when they ask me about pieces that I've written, you don't know what the tone is with a guy if you're not doing the interview. You don't know if he's kind of laughing, if he's quiet, if he's loud. What was KG's tone as he said these things, as he dropped these F-bombs about Glenn Taylor? Um, I mean, you know, it's a free-flowing conversation. You know, whenever, whenever you, I mean, Dia, you've done countless, countless interviews, John as well. I mean, everyone here has done great work, but you, you never know what someone will say. I know in talking to KG in the past, he's uh, he's unfiltered, he's colorful. So I, I knew that going in, and just some of his other responses were great. Um, and you know, when when I set him up on the when he went on a tangent about Glenn, you know, it was a very general question just about when the Minnesota Timberwolves will retire his jersey because the Celtics are set to retire it. He had spoken about how he's still figuring out. Um, when exactly that will be with the Celtics, given all this coronavirus situation. Um, but you know, when you know, I, I gave that set in, and he just went off, and so it, it was a really general question. And the way I took from it was, this is something that he's had on his chest for a while, and that the amount of times the word snake was used, it was definitely something that he has thought in his mind before, and um, you know, he, he really unleashed. I would love to know, Shams, did you have a general idea that there was? some lingering uh I, you know they've used the elegant word enmity but like you know just some lingering salt on the part of kg or were you just like look boston's already set a retirement date for you um it would seem obvious to anybody i don't think this was even a gotcha question on your part did you sort of have an idea that he was that he was pissed at them or were you just you know just bringing up like look you should have your jersey retired oh no question i mean i think through john's reporting in the past and just some of the comments you know there was there was an interview that kg did um i think on tnt where he called glenn um where he basically talked down on glenn's basketball acumen and um, so you, you knew that there was some resentment, some feelings there, but for him to unleash the way he did, obviously, you know, I was kind of, um, you know, I, my, my face was kind of blank. Um, you kind of processing everything that, that you're being told. And, um, that's really how I was feeling in the moment. You know, I, I knew he felt a certain way about Glenn. And this is something that, you know, he felt wrong. And John can speak more to this because John's done extensive, extensive reporting about this, but clearly KG felt wronged about how it ended in Minnesota in 2016. He felt that he feels that he should still be a part of that organization, whether it's as an owner, as, as someone that has a high influential role within the organization and on a senior level. And he felt that Glenn went back on his word. And that's something, you know, that misunderstanding, I don't know if it's, a, you know, the way I look at it, it might just be, he said, he said, whatever the case, um, you know, Kevin Garnett's a very passionate person. He always, um, wears his emotions on his sleeve, and I don't think this is a situation that's any different. John, I wanted to get your take on it. You have written so much about this. You've interviewed KG so many times about it. And let's let's get into that history. This is so similar to me to the Isaiah Thomas, Bill Davidson uh, deal in Detroit, where Isaiah believed he had so- basically been promised to run the team when he retired as a player. 
and Bill Davidson wound up picking Joe Dumars to be the GM. And that led to all kinds of changes between the two of them for years and years and years. I don't know that they ever really, you know, reconciled before Bill Davidson died. Um, now Isaiah has subsequently come back, kind of been re, re-embraced back into the franchise. Talk about that. Uh, I hate to say talk about what was that? <laughs> what, what are your impressions of the promises that were or were not made to Kevin Garnett? Yeah, DA, it's, it's, uh, the waters are really muddy here and it's tragic for the reason because Flip Saunders passed away. Um, and so to lay a little background, when Kevin Garnett left the first time when he was traded to Boston in 2007, he did not want to go. He wanted to stay in Minnesota. He's a loyal guy. He wanted to stick it out. Um, but everyone had known that the writing was sort of on the wall, that they had sort of reached their zenith with Kevin in the middle of it, and they needed to start over and rebuild. And so they convinced Kevin, and, and, and Kevin is convinced by Boston to, to, to acquiesce to a trade and to go to the Celtics. Um, and that in that split, it was a little bit ugly. Uh, there were some hard feelings, I think, um, on both sides, and that led to a long standing rift well flip saunders was also fired by the wolves and and had some hard feelings initially when he was dismissed by the wolves in 2005 but eventually comes back to the timberwolves as president of basketball operations and head coach uh you know in the 2013-2014 range and and he starts to build bridges back with glenn taylor um and then also set forth on trying to rebuild the bridge with Kevin Garnett. Everyone knows how important Kevin is to this franchise. He is the Timberwolves franchise. And so there was a big um, feeling on Flip's part that KG needed to be part of this again, that they needed to you know, bury the hatchet and, and find a way to make this work. Kevin had always expressed an interest in getting into ownership after his playing days. And Flip was trying to put together a group to eventually succeed Glenn Taylor from an ownership standpoint for the Timberwolves. And so when Flip acquired Glenn, uh, excuse me, when Flip acquired KG in the trade with Brooklyn in 2015 to bring him back, there were some conversations clearly between Flip and Kevin about what the future would hold for them after his playing days were over and Kevin had said it on the record that he planned on getting into ownership. He wanted to do that. Flip was kind of the conduit between Kevin and Glenn Taylor. Um, now fast forward and, and Kevin is back in the fold here and Glenn and Flip is trying to repair those relationships. Well, then he dies. He has Hodgkin's lymphoma and he dies. And Glenn had to be felt compelled to, to chart a course forward after that. I mean, they, he needed to pick someone to lead the franchise and to go forward. And so he hired Tom Thibodeau and gave him a five-year deal and, and had him to be the, the, the leader of this team. And, and from a, from a front office standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. And I think that Kevin wanted to be that guy and wanted to buy into the ownership group probably, if you talk to Timberwolves people, um, thought that you know Kevin wanted to spend a little bit of money to get in, but wanted to have outsized influence on the decisions that were being made. And 
that just did not seem realistic uh, in the in Glenn Taylor's eyes. And so, but what we really don't know, DA and Boz and everyone is we don't know how the conversations between Flip and KG went in terms of how many promises did Flip make uh, that ultimately were unable to come to fruition and how much of it was just KG hearing what he wanted to hear and, and kind of concocting his own vision for things that were maybe based not on those conversations, but on how he wanted things to run. And, and so that's where the divide is. And unfortunately, because Flip is gone, there isn't that third party to kind of corroborate either the Wolf side of the, of the thing or Kevin Garnett's side of the thing. And so we're stuck in this limbo. And I think both sides, but particularly Kevin Garnett, is just really dug in on his position that he feels like promises were broken and a betrayal was made, was made. And I think that the wolves disagree with that characterization. So John, I'm curious because it sounds to me like flip Saunders had the ear of Glenn Taylor, right? Like flip Saunders was trusted by Glenn Taylor. Um, you know, in so much as he brought him back and he gave him all this influence and all of this stuff. And Flip Saunders basically brokered whatever you want to call it, the reconciliation, the the whatever you want to call what happened between Glenn Taylor and Kevin Garnett. But I don't really have a sense of what Glenn Taylor, how Glenn Taylor felt about Flip, um, Kevin Garnett, right? Like he likes Flip Saunders, Flip Saunders likes KG. KG obviously feels a connection to the franchise, the fans, all of that stuff as it relates to Minnesota. I don't, I don't, does, I don't, I'm not understanding where Glenn, where, where Glenn Taylor is with Kevin Garnett. Yeah, I think that, you know, Glenn has been reluctant to go on the record um, whenever KG kind of engages in the criticism that he does. And he's done it often now. I think with Shams, it was the most kind of frank and forthright that he's ever been um, with it and maybe the most brutal. Um, to be, to be honest with you in the, in the way he termed, uh, you know, Glenn as a snake and, and all of those things. Um, but I think that he, Glenn hasn't seen a, 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 a reason to get into the wrestling ring with KG in the court of public opinion. Um, you know, Glenn is a, is an honorable man, but he certainly has had his struggles as owner of this franchise. Uh, if you're asking for a public approval rating, KG's is it, locally is like 98% and Glenn's is probably <laughs> like 22%. So, so you're not going to win that battle. And, and I think that what, what Glenn eventually wants, I believe, is to see 21 in the rafters, to have some sort of, uh, of, a, of an accord reached and have Garnett be around the franchise and be involved, whether that's working with players in the summers or in practices or just kind of being a presence here again, because he clearly does mean everything to this franchise and to the fans um, because he's so wildly popular. But I do think that there's some deep frustration with Glenn in terms of the way that KG looks at this issue as black and white and as just like clear cut that, he was wronged. And I think Glenn, if he were to be honest, would probably say something like, 
you know, KG, what did you want me to do? You know, Flip had died. We had to go forward and um, it was going to be unrealistic for you to put together the money that it would take to buy into the organization at a level mm. that would afford you decision-making powers. Um, mm. You know, everyone has respect for KG and the way that he thinks the game and sees the game and knows the game, but he had not been, he was still playing at that point. He was still under contract as a player. And so Glenn felt like he had to move forward, hire Tom Thibodeau to come in and, and be the new leader and then hopefully, I think eventually the plan was to repair the relationship with Garnett and keep him involved some way, shape or form. But KG just really took that the wrong way. And um, and I think Glenn has been a little bit kind of befuddled by by just how kind of KG has, has really been clinging to his view on things. And, and so I don't think that there's animosity that Glenn has toward KG, but I do think there is frustration in the way that it, uh, KG has kind of gone about the the business of of describing their relationship and really taking shots at Glenn, you know, over and over again. Shams, he he also talked to you about going in with Kobe, going in with Tim Duncan in the Hall of Fame class, and it may be, you know, I have to. I think the Jordan class is, is probably the best I ever saw, but certainly it's it's comparable to the Iverson Shaq class. It's comparable to any of the great classes of the last you know dozen years or ever. But it was funny to me to read what what he said about Timmy Duncan because he I saw a different. I'll just say I saw a different view of that of that rivalry when they were really at their heights. <laughs> He wasn't feeling Tim like, oh, you're my peer. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that. And it's funny to me that he all, that now he's like, oh, yeah, me and Timmy, oh, we battled, we were great warriors and now we're going in together. That wasn't what he was saying back in the day now. <laughs> 100%. And that's why, um, you know, that's why I wanted to know, like, how ironic is it that a guy that, you know, I looked at those two as having a rivalry throughout their career, you know, animosity at different points, I think fair to say, at least from one side or the other, but you know, I think that's just, I, I just think that that's KG's mechanism for just developing this aura about him and, and just this competitiveness that he has. And so, you know, I, I agree. And just so framing it that way, I thought, you know, he could have easily went in on how he maybe felt in the moment, but I did feel that there's a sense of like, now that he's retired, he can look at it from a bigger picture point of view. And, you know, he also mentioned Rasheed Wallace and you know, I'd spoken to someone close to, uh, to Kevin before the interview. And they said, you know, uh, Tim Duncan and Rasheed Wallace were the two guys for him that gave him the biggest problems and were his biggest rivals. And he would never admit it when he was playing because he didn't want to kind of give anyone that competitive edge. But for him to kind of expand on even Sheed being, you know, one of his rivals, um, you know, when he was playing in that Vaughn and Western Conference, I thought, you know, was refreshing uh, to hear. Yeah, well, yeah, Sheed is always going to be underrated, you know, just because of his numbers and all that. But he was a problem. <laughs> he was a problem. Yeah, I was watching something on YouTube he was doing with Tony Allen. He told a story about... The first time he actually met Austin Rivers, they played one on one and he had to like really kick his ass. But he could see that Austin was like a really hungry guy and that he would eventually make it into the NBA. And 
you know, the, the, the question of people that he battled with came up in the league and he talked about Tim Duncan and, and like it came up like I was watching that game when he slapped him in the back of the head for no reason. <laughs> like Tim was breaking up a scuffle somewhere else and he smacked him in the back of the head while he wasn't looking. And Tim looked at him like, dude, like I will kill you right now. <laughs> but he but he was just he basically brushed it off, said, nah, you know, I was just young and stupid, man. It was a lot of mutual respect and all of that. But it's interesting how guys can, you know, do the revisionist history, man, <laughs> that quickly. Yeah, man. They I mean, you know, I mean, KG, I mean the way that he won at everyone, uh he was of the old school. Like you were not friends with players on other teams and when players were on your team and left a la ray allen um all you know plenty of other guys you were dead to him and so that's the way that that he always went at these guys and he went at his teammates in practice you know in on the austin river stuff to test them and see who was going to stand up to kind of the abuse and who was going to get tougher through it and that's how you got into kg's circle is by manning up and 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 going to battle that way and and so but he was just so maniacal in the moment and and so competitive that i do think that there was a part of his brain that was just wired differently when the lights were on and now that he is away from it and kind of is in a more reflective mood it's i guess it's not surprising me that he's kind of softening that or looking at things in a different perspective but in the moment yeah he he wanted to go at Tim's head, and I can guarantee you, as you know, DA, Tim wanted to go right back at him. There was no love lost, I don't think, between either one of them. No, that was that was for top dog, and and it was always power forward in the Western Conference in the in the nineties was impossible. It was impossible to pick yeah. two guys every year for whatever you were picking them for, for whatever team you were picking them for, because you had those guys, you had Weber, you had uh, Rashid. It was just it was impossible because it was the the quality was so above and beyond what anybody at any other position, I think, in basketball at the time. Uh, but John, I wanted to bring you back in on that. You know, the whole notion of who KJ really respected and who he really kind of held in contempt. And I know he had he had mad respect for Sam Mitchell and his teammates. But was there any was there a was there an opponent that he ever copped to as a player? And he said, "Yeah, that guy's tough. That guy that guy's hard to beat." Uh, I mean, I certainly Kobe was one of them. Um, you know, he you know, they had their battles together in the Western Conference and uh, Western Conference Finals in two thousand and four and. Uh, and then obviously in the NBA finals when he was with Boston and, and playing the Lakers. So I do think that Kobe was the one that he looked at sort of as close to him in terms of personality and fire and approach to the game. I mean, you know, they were both just all business, workaholic, no BS uh, kind of kind of guys. And I think he always respected that about Kobe. Um, you know, he knew that that Kobe was one of the few people in the league who was working as hard as he was, who cared as much as he did, and who had as little uh patience for uh for all of the, the bullshit that you have to deal with often in the NBA as as KG did. I mean, KG didn't want to be kind of involved with the knuckleheads and he wanted 
serious-minded guys around him that took the game seriously, that that skewed over losses, that celebrated wins, and that went to work every single day. I mean, I've been talking to teammates of his, and they'd say, look, he, he played 40 minutes in back-to-back games, and he'd be the first one in the gym uh, the next day when we weren't even supposed to be practicing, working up a lather, and that's what Kobe did as well. And so I think that he, Kobe is the one that, that KG really looked at and said, that guy is someone that I am a kindred, kindred spirit with and uh, someone that I have a ton of respect for. Shams, you know what else struck me about the, the back and forth with you and KG was it was so obvious that his effusive praise <laughs> of the Boston Celtics organization and how it's run from top to bottom was meant as a just straight up shot across the bow of what they were doing in Minnesota during his years. And let's face it, they squandered this guy's career. You know, they went to the Western Conference Finals that one season where Troy Hudson might have been their second best player, right? <laughs> and they're going up against two top 15 all-time greats in the Lakers, right? Um, What was your sense of, you know, maybe time and opportunity squandered in the Minnesota years? Oh, there's no question. He has deep regret. I mean, he said it in the interview. The one thing that he would change would be asking out, leaving Minnesota years before he did. And I think he said that in the past, but he reiterated it. And he, he told me, you know, when we were, when we were talking, I probably would be sitting here with one or two more rings. I think he still looks back at 2009 and 2010, but you know, as he said in the interview, I, I, I don't think he wants to look back at, 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 at you know, could have, should have, would have. And there was actually an amazing line that I don't think got the credit it deserved. But he says, I don't play. If I would have said something to her, I could have got her. And I, I, I think that that just sums up his mindset in terms of like, you know, he, he, he doesn't really want to look back in terms of, you know, if San Cassell was healthy, where would they have been in 2004? Right. Um, but I think he does look at not leaving Minnesota earlier to go into a team like Boston as one of his regrets. I want to uh, get uh, everybody out on this, um, Shams. I want to take advantage of your expertise, obviously, with the league. and We're at a unique position right now. Um, in talking, you know, it's funny. I talked to an owner last week who said, we're definitely going to be playing in June. And I've talked to other people around the league who have said the exact opposite. Like, they don't think they're going to play at all this season. So where are we right now? And what makes the most sense in terms of a potential finish to this season, or if not a finish to this season, at least a start to next season on time? DA, there's definitely a lot of optimism. A lot of the owners, GMs, players, they all want to have a season. And in conversations behind the scenes, whether it's with the league or the MVPA, um, with their players, et cetera. Everyone understands how much money is at stake. And again, this isn't done for the money. Um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they can't throw these guys out there if there are health risks at stake and they won't. But the understanding of how much money still is on the line for the season for to crown a champion in an abbreviated season, I think that will always keep the hope alive and, and the simmering alive for trying to have a season. And, and the crazy part, DA, is we don't know. Like, that's the, that's the unfortunate part of this virus is that it is controlling the timeline. It is controlling our behaviors. It is controlling everything about our livelihoods right now. 
Um, and it, there's nothing that we can control. This is the one thing that is not under our control. So I think the NBA understands that. That's why there are a bunch of contingency plans that are being made right now. And, um, you know, my gut is given their determination on how much they want to play that they, that we will have a season, but that's just based on their determination, how bad they want it. John, what, what are the, when you talk to the Wolves people, I mean, what is their kind of feeling about whether this is going to happen or not? Yeah. I mean, they're certainly, they're, they're trying to be ready if, if, and when they do get a green light to go. And so they're looking at all sorts of different options, whether it, that Vegas kind of plan is enacted, whether, um, there are, there are many regular season games that can still be played and then go into the playoffs or if it's one or two and then it jumps into some sort of a playoff format and the Wolves are kind of on the outside looking into that. But I do think that if, if, they, if people are being honest within their organization and within a lot of other organizations, the, the longer that this goes on and just today in Minnesota – they extended the shelter in place until May 4th, at least. And so the, the longer that this goes on, the harder it becomes to, to jumpstart something from scratch again. And, and so, you know, I, I think that everyone wants sports back. Everyone, fans, uh, players, coaches, we all, we all need it just as some sort of a diversion. If at the very minimum, let alone a, a revenue producer, but, I think the, the the reality of it, as Shams was saying, in terms of the uncertainty that is involved here and how long it's going to take to develop the vaccines and things that are needed to really make things safe, I think that a lot of people are probably in a boat of they'd be surprised if we do play again this season, if there is if there are games, just because of all the obstacles that are in front of them to make it healthy enough to participate in games again. Well, on that less than optimistic <laughs> note, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's reality. No, it's reality. It's reality. None of us have any idea. Like, like Tony Fauci says, you know, the virus sets the schedule, not us. Yep, so exactly. It's not up know, to us. So. Yeah. And so we're all in limbo, but um, thank both of you. Thanks to both of you for joining us this week. Thanks to my man Waz for always holding it down with me. And thanks to all of you who are listening. And I remind you again, uh, we're in the midst of a free uh, three-month trial for any new subscriber to The Athletic. Uh, everything is unlocked for three months. If you aren't a subscriber right now, you can check us out for three months and then uh, see what you want to do after that. But um, we are grateful to everybody that continues to support us, that continues to subscribe, that continues to uh, man up and re-up with us. Um, we're only as strong as our supporters are, and you guys are doing a great job of supporting us. So we thank you, and we'll talk to all of you again next week. 